Hey, it's Zach reminding you to check out DC and RC featuring UFC legend Daniel Cormier and Super Bowl champion Ryan Clark, both Louisiana natives as they hang out and kick around the hottest topics from across the world of MMA and preview and review the most important fight cards and storylines. Plus, 30 for 30 is back with Breakaway, a film about WNBA superstar and activist Maya Moore. The film explores the story of Moore, one of the best basketball players in the world, stepping away from the sport for a remarkable reason to fight for a man she believed was wrongly imprisoned. Stream now on ESPN+. Today's interview has been fueled by Gatorade. Whatever path you take to greatness, Gatorade is there to fuel it. Greatness starts with G. And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post podcast, bright and early on Tuesday morning in Los Angeles, where free agency is well underway. Free agency almost seems over. There aren't that many... Huge dominoes left to fall. We've got the Spencer Dinwiddie situation with Washington and Brooklyn and who else? Dennis Schroeder. Maybe the Lakers are going to try to sign and trade him. I don't know. DeMar DeRozan. Remember DeMar DeRozan? Anyone want DeMar DeRozan? To help us sort out some of the winners and losers in the Eastern Conference for part one of this podcast, Mr. Kevin Pelton, who was just a machine as usual all day, evaluating every deal, all the permutations. KP, how are you? I'm doing well. Hoping, hoping the pace is a little slower today so I can catch up. Because it wasn't everyone that we got to yesterday, certainly. It was a lot, though, and it was fast and furious starting right at uh, 6.01 Eastern. It's amazing how many deals get negotiated so fast. It's really just an incredible testament to the skills of, of the negotiators. Anyway, let's start with the Miami Heat in the East, who signed and traded for Kyle Lowry, re-signed Duncan Robinson, signed P.J. Tucker with the mid-level exception, and re-signed a couple of role players. Um, KP, the Tucker one was especially a nice capper to the day because I, I really like the Lowry, Robinson, Bam, Butler for some, and you can throw Hero in there for Robinson on, on whatever night that Hero happens to be on. By the way, I think Tyler Hero, people are a little too low on Tyler Hero. I saw in your evaluation of what the Heat's doing, a breakout year for Tyler Hero could really change how we feel about the Heat next year. And I agree with that. Like, it, development isn't always linear. Tyler Hero was took maybe a slight step back last year, which I think disappointed people given his play in the bubble he could take a bigger step forward next year. And that changes everything for the Heat. But to me, I said it on TV in the middle of the day. Once Lowry was there, I love Kyle Lowry. Everyone knows I love Kyle Lowry. Build the dude a statue, and the statue should be taking a charge in front of the Air Canada Center or whatever. It's always the Air Canada Center. Sorry, Scotiabank is the Air Canada Center. The, the most important question was, who is starting at power forward for the Miami Heat next year? Because last year, they could never really replace what Jay Crowder did in the bubble, sort of locking the whole starting five into place is the, is the perfect small ball, stretch four, switchable, shoots a lot of threes. And I spent yesterday going through all the candidates. Who's it going to be? And they were flying off the board. Michael Green gone to Denver. Jeff Green gone to Denver. Denver's got all the Jay Greens. So they just need Javante Green now. Um, and then boom, at the very end of the day, right when it's starting to wind down, here comes Miami stealing P.J. Tucker away from the NBA champion Milwaukee Bucks, which, by the way, matters. The Bucks are a little bit thin right now, um, or somewhat thin anyway, after losing Tucker and maybe losing Bryn Forbes. We'll see about all that. But Tucker was an interesting answer to this question for the Heat. KP, uh, I have a feeling I'm a little bit higher on the 21-22 Heat um, than you are, although I think maybe not. Not the gap isn't that big. But what what's your zoom out? Lots of changes in Miami. Nobody reloads like the Heat. Nobody reloads like Pat Riley. What do you think of this team? 
to me, there's still a tier below Brooklyn and Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference until we see what this actually looks like on the court and not on paper. And I think one of, you know, one of my concerns is, number one, is age. Obviously, with both of these guys in their mid-30s, Lowry wasn't the same player last season. And Tucker, even though he was crucial in that run to the championship for the Bucks, he also wasn't really the same player. He was down from a guy who is a dangerous corner three-point shooter to someone who was largely a non-scoring threat. You were often playing kind of four-on-five on offense. And I, Milwaukee was able to overcome that despite playing him at small forward for much of the playoffs. Miami, I, I think it's going to be a little more of a challenge for them to do the same. I mean, that to me is the big difference between him and Jay Crowder. Jay Crowder in that run to the finals in 2020, they played 21 games. He made 55 threes. He went bonkers. He went. The, the Bucks fans still have PTSD about what Jay Crowder did in that series. And by contrast, Tucker starting 19 games, playing 23 last year on route to the championship, he made 19 three-pointers. So there's a, a pretty big gulf in terms of you know, shot volume and in how much just defenses have to account for those two players. So Tucker in particular, I think I'm a bit lower on. The only way this works for Miami is if Kyle Lowry is peak Kyle Lowry. That's it. Their only way of having a puncher's chance to win the East next year is if Kyle Lowry is amazing again when it matters because there is a downgrade from Jay Crowder to P.J. Tucker. And look, Jay Crowder has no conscience at all. Jay Crowder will shoot all the time. He'll shoot with hands in his face. He'll shoot after he hits the backboard on a three-pointer from above the, above the top of the arc three times in a row. He'll keep shooting. But the volume matters. He's just as accurate on long threes as he is on corner threes. He's a little better sort of pump and go off the dribble than P.J., who is um, like like a truck that's trying to get the clutch working and stick shift. I mean, he's so laborious. Uh, he's a better extra passer than P.J., so that's a downgrade. I think Tucker is probably an upgrade from the Ariza and all the other solutions they tried to cobble together last year. But this only works if Kyle Lowry is that big of an upgrade over Goran Dragic. As you said, Kyle Lowry missed a ton of games last season, took, I think, the first mini step back of his career. So far, he's been this model of aging, right? He just hasn't aged at all. He's been amazing from age 29 to 35. He's almost 36 now, I think. Some of that was the Raptors just not trying to win at the end of the season and sitting him out. Some of it was, I mean, look, they're playing in Tampa. Like, it's just not a great situation for the Raptors last year. Um, I think peak Kyle Lowry, if they can get him, I think is a huge and meaningful upgrade over Goran Dragic, who is really good for Miami. And I think the upgrade is just as much on defense, if not more on defense, than on offense because Miami faced this sort of existential crisis of to get our best lineups on the floor, we've got to have two of Dragic, Robinson, and Hero on the floor for shooting and offense and ball handling. And that just gives you two weak points for the opposing offense to pick at. Kyle Lowry is a monster defensively. I mean, you can't move him in the post. He'll take the ball. I love when big guys try to post Kyle Lowry in his giant ass. They can't back him up. He pokes the ball away and laughs at him. He'll draw charges. He's a good. He's just a really good defender. And I think, and I think he's a better offensive player than Dragic too and a better offensive fit next to Butler and Adebayo. So my takeaway, I don't actually disagree with you. I think I use the phrase puncher's chance. Brooklyn is the favorite to win the championship, point blank, period. Even after the Lakers get Russell Westbrook, to me, Brooklyn Brooklyn was going to steamroll to the championship last year before two of their three stars got injured. That's what, that's what it looked like to me. Anyway, I thought Brooklyn was the clear favorite to win the title. 
Um, Milwaukee just won the title. You can quibble with, well, the, they didn't look awesome against Brooklyn and they fell behind against Atlanta and this and that. Bottom line is, whatever demons they had, whatever mental roadblocks they had to overcome, they overcame them. That changes a team forever. That changes the star players forever. Their comfort level on the biggest stage is what it is. They're the champions. They deserve the benefit of the doubt. I think the Heat slide in behind those two teams, so I agree with you. But I'm probably a little bit more optimistic that if they get peak Lowry and they'll get someone else on the minimum here to come in and help them, they'll maybe retain Kendrick Nunn and stay under the hard cap. I don't know. If they get peak Lowry, I just think Lowry, Butler, Adebayo is a trio that amplifies each other on almost every aspect of the game. And if they're healthy and humming and they get one more little piece here and there, I think they have a puncher's chance against those teams. That means they got to get lucky. They got to have a hot, like PJ Tucker's got to have a series where he goes 15 of 25 on corner threes randomly. And as you said, he shot 31% on corner threes in the playoffs last year, 34% for the season. He does not shoot long threes. He doesn't really do anything else offensively other than shoot corner threes. And maybe they have to catch a, a minor injury on one of those other teams. But my thing is, when you, when you acquire Jimmy Butler, who's 31 now, and you make the finals, like, this is just what you do. Like, you're, you're, if you don't try to go all in, you're just wasting your time. And I don't know what you think, KP. Like, the price they paid is essentially cap flexibility going forward or, or tax flexibility going forward. Kyle Lowry is going to make a lot of money until age 38. Jimmy Butler reportedly is about to sign a massive extension that's going to take him through age 35 or 36. That's a real price, but they didn't give up draft equity. They gave up Precious Achua. That could matter. He's a, he's a solid prospect. I don't think they gave up that much. And history suggests, like, if they end up digging themselves a hole of salary, they just, they, they're like freaking Houdini. They're like a, a skate artist. They get out of it every time. It's a, it's a dangerous philosophy to have that we're going to be able to get out of every time because there may be one time you don't get out of it. And, it. and it certainly did take a while when they locked in on that group of, you know, guys who hit free agency after they had an overachieving season. So this is this is different because, you know, these are really good players that they're locking into. It's just maybe on the wrong side of the aging curve. Uh, especially, if, you know, is compared to Bam and Tyler Hero and the, the younger parts of their core. I mean, def- defensively, I think this is a team you're not going to want to face if you're the Nets because who's going to match up better than with Brooklyn than this team that can throw out, you know, switch everything with Adebayo, put P.J. Tucker on Durant, put, you know, uh, Jimmy and, and Kyle Lowry on the other two stars. I'm I don't sure think exactly I can watch P.J. Tucker. I don't think I can watch P.J. Tucker against Durant again. I'm already <laughs> tired thinking about P.J. Tucker against Durant. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be a lot, but... Uh, the question I think then becomes, can you score enough points to win a series like that against Broken? And we also haven't mentioned, I mean, we'll see what Philadelphia ends up doing if eventually there's some sort of Ben Simmons trade. Atlanta is a team that I think has had a quietly a nice off season and has, you know, consolidated the gains they made last year that got them to the conference finals. So this is not your father's like Eastern conference that it's going to take 50, 50, you know, 50, 55 win team is going to win. No, I'm glad you mentioned Philly and Atlanta because those are certainly the teams that would say and their fans would say, hey, hey wait a second, um, you're just penciling in Miami as, as, the, as, the, um, as, as the presumptive number three team. What about us? We just made the conference finals in Atlanta, unseating Philadelphia with Ben Simmons melting down on national TV. The other, the other big question coming out of this, and we're not really talking about the Sixers, but 
They wanted Kyle Lowry too. They didn't get him. This is the second time in four months they didn't get him. What's the backup plan here? Are we just in a holding pattern until the Ben Simmons situation resolves itself? I don't really know what they're doing. I, I like this Heat team a lot. I think Lowry, I think Lowry, Bam, and Butler are going to make – I mean, think about – Kyle is a great pick-and-roll player, but the soul of Kyle Lowry is not high pick-and-rolls, even though he's good at it. The soul of Kyle Lowry is like all the random stuff he does in like the dead zone of the floor, like 20 feet and in, give and goes, random screens for people. Just little cuts here and there. And, like, that's where Jimmy Butler and Bam live. And their collective IQ in those spaces, they're going to make magic in, in, in that kind of area. And Duncan Robinson has really grown as, like, a one-and-two dribble pick-and-roll ball handler. His handoff game with Bam is, like, lethal. He's going to draw two guys 25 feet from the rim, slip a pass to Bam, and Bam's going to have a four-on-three with all that creativity around him. And, yeah, the spacing might not be great with P.J. Tucker on the floor, I think they're going to be a really solid team and tough and nasty and, and not fun to play at all. I like what they did. I cost, Look, Pat Riley, future be damned. I like it. Let's go for it. Let's have fun. That's what I say. It's definitely going to be fun to watch. You know, something that you mentioned a little bit ago that I think is important, and I think Chris Mannix tweeted this yesterday before I could. You've got this fascinating competition going on for minimum salary free agents right now because the Lakers are in a position where they feel like you know they need those guys, uh, even though they aren't necessarily constrained like they were last year when they were hard capped. The Heat are hard capped and for sure need those guys. And then Brooklyn has the tax tax issues as well. So there's all of these glamour markets. The Warriors, I guess, they got Otto Porter Jr. at the minimum. They're they're in this competition as well. So far, the Lakers are in the lead, getting as many of them. Miami has just re-signed their own guys at the minimum thus far. So who else they can attract there to go play with this group is going to be a really important key as well to, to filling out the depth. Breaking news about the Nets. Woj reporting Bruce Brown Jr., captain of the Luke Walton All-Stars, is signing, very interestingly, the one-year qualifying what? offer to return to the Nets as their small ball center. He's just Bruce Brown. That's all he is. And again, I think we're not going to talk about the Nets, but they walk in his favorites. Let's pivot to the crosstown rivals of the Brooklyn Nets. The New York Knicks coming off a number four seed got whitewashed in the first round by the Atlanta Hawks, which actually looks a little better in retrospect than it did at the time with the Hawks getting as far as they did. The Knicks, with a boatload of cap space, everyone was saying, are they going to be patient? They're going to just sign short-term deals, keep their room and assets for Damian Lillard. The Knicks did the following. Four years, 78 or something for Evan Fournier. Three years, 32 to bring back Nerlens Noel. Three years, 30 to bring back Alec Burks. Three years, 43 to bring back Derrick Rose. They are essentially out of functional cap space. They have a little bit left. They will essentially be out of functional cap space in the summer of 2022. These are all interesting players. They all have roles. The Knicks were be. I wasn't on Twitter much yesterday because there's just too much going on. It seemed as if the, the same old Knicks kind of thing, kind of motif, Tweeted up through the tweeter Oh, here go the Knicks again. What a dumb contract. $15 million for Rose. Eh, same old Knicks. Irrational exuberance. KP, do you agree with that? To an extent. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, number one, there's a commonality between Miami and New York here. That I think both of those teams looked at all the extensions that were signed last year heading into this year's free agency. Some of the extensions we could have and continue to have this summer with Brooklyn's big three. We already mentioned Butler. It looks like he's going to sign the extension. 
free agency might not be as star-filled for a few years here as it has been the past five years. We might have to recalibrate our expectations. And these are obviously both teams that, you know, have not been able to land that star free agent in the prime, the Giannis, I guess, or, or whoever it was going to be, the, the KD in the Knicks case, in a few years. So I think that's part of why they were both willing to lock in for a bit of time here and not have that cap space going forward. Now, New York is not locking into a team that is the same kind of championship threat that Miami is. I I do think that even though they have a better roster with the addition of Evan Fournier, there's a pretty good chance they have a weaker record next year just because some of the health goes goes. No, you're a hater. You're just being a hater. You're being a hater. You're just being a hater. And the, the opponent three-point shooting, the Knicks fans love to hear about that one. Probably not going to be as elite as it was this season, even though they're Oh, they're just, they're getting, they're, they're getting, def- I can hear them getting defensive. No, it's the scheme! <laughs> we leave the right guys open! And I think, actually, they're not completely incorrect about that. The Knicks had a really good defensive team last year. They did pretty well. You dismiss them at your own peril, Kevin Pelton. You just have a, you're just all about the West Coast bias. You don't like the East Coast. <laughs> Well, we'll get to a couple of teams. Like when we first started this winners and losers from the East, I was like, wait, are there winners from the East? Are there teams? That they, which, which there are. I, wow. No, I, don't think those, I, I, I don't think these contracts are quite probably going to be as bad as they look in terms of the total value. We know that Fournier, there's a team option on the final season. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw that team option, non-guarantee structure on the third year for Burks and, and Noel as well. Can so, they opt out of the Fournier year four now? Can they just oh, can no. they file that with the with the league today that we're opting out of Fournier uh, in like whatever year that is, 26, 27, whatever the hell year it is. I've lost track of what calendar it is. But it seems related to the free agency point. The idea is more, hey, let's get these mid-sized contracts. We've got the ability to pair them and put them together and make a trade offer for Damian Lillard or whoever else comes on the market. And that's reasonable, but you probably do have to make sure that those are positive value contracts or else you end up having to throw in an extra draft pick like presumably Milwaukee did to get New Orleans to take out Eric Bledsoe in that trade where eventually we saw that the Pelicans had to pay to get off Bledsoe's contract this year. So that's that's the aspect of those mid-sized contracts is they better be good mid-sized contracts. So I don't know what's happening to me if I'm getting just more mature and nice in my old age. I don't hate any of this for the Knicks. And actually, as I was watching the reaction roll in, I, I was like, I get that everybody just wants to just make fun of the Knicks. Like that's I've made a lot of fun of the Knicks. I called them the kazoos for years uh, because of James Dolan's propensity to play the kazoo. I've compared James Dolan to, uh, what is that, Dro- Droopy the dog. That's how he sits at games. He looks like Droopy the cartoon dog. I've made a lot of fun of the Knicks. I don't hate any of them. Let me go through the deals. Burks deal, fine. I like it. I'm in on Alec Burks. That was the market for Alec Burks. I had multiple good teams say, do you think we could get Burks for the mid-level? That's it. That's the market. He was great last year. I think he's healthy. Noel, if he's the starter, I think that deal is fine. And I don't know if he's the starter or not. I don't sense a, a huge amount of like overflowing faith that Mitchell Robinson is the guy going forward for the Knicks. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. We did see Tristan Thompson, Aaron Baines, Derek Favors, on and on. All of those backup centers that were signed for this amount of money, there was immediate buyer's remorse. So I do think there's some risk in that deal for Noel, who had by far the best year of his career, but it's not that big of a deal. Fournier, Rose, I think, is an overpay, and that's the one I actually worry about the most, given his injury history and his long-term health and the way they have to monitor his minutes. I don't like that deal for Derrick Rose very much, but take or leave, whatever. Um, they clearly need him. He was like incredibly essential to their team. 
Fournier, I am just not an Evan Fournier guy. I know what the numbers say. The numbers say he shoots it pretty well. He's an okay passer. Um, I just when I when I he's just one of those guys when I watch him play for the Orlando Magic all these years, I just never feel like he's impacting winning as much as the numbers say that he should be, given his threat as a shooter. Number one, I don't think he's a very good playmaker. I just think he's a so-so playmaker. He's looking for his own shot before everything else. He takes a lot of mid-range shots that I don't love. And defensively, he's just blah and got destroyed in the playoffs by Brooklyn last year. They were like, I, I was like, did Evan Fournier do something to James Harden's family? It was just mean what they were doing to him. His playoff numbers, I've seen the Evan Fournier movie in the playoffs four times. I've seen Evan Fournier part one, Evan Fournier part two, all the way to Evan Fournier electric boogaloo part four. He stinks in the playoffs every single time he gets in the playoffs. He gets exposed, is in over his head in whatever role he's in in the playoffs. So I don't love this deal, but... He is a good basketball player. I said all that. He's good. He's decent. He brings things that the Knicks need. And more broadly, KP, I just think people are misreading this. The Knicks are – you nailed it with, like, maybe it's not cap space, right? Maybe it's – it's it, 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 and maybe it's not even like, oh, the Knicks have piled up all these A-plus assets for trades. These are all neutral they're handy for salary matching, right? And you need that. You can't have a roster where everyone either makes the max or the minimum. Then it's really hard to make trades. So they're handy in that sense. Let's say they're all net neutral. I think the Knicks understand their path better than some of the critics of the deals yesterday. And the path is this. If we're competent, if we're competent on the floor, if we can build on the success we had last year, if Madison Square Garden is rocking, Someone somewhere or multiple someone somewhere are going to say, we want to go there. Send us there. It doesn't matter if we have the best quiver of trade assets out of every team that wants those players. It doesn't matter if we have the second best. We still have Barrett, Robinson, quickly, a bunch of picks, all our own picks, the Dallas pick that's still coming to them, all of that. If if we can cobble together enough, someone is going to just strong arm his way here. And I so I think... This is, a, this is a set of deals that's going to make them at least able to replicate what they did last season and just sort of keep the good vibes going. And I think, are they overpays? Maybe. Are there some people in that front office who are maybe a little queasy today? Probably. I just don't hate it. I can't bring myself to hate it because I think it shows some sort of understanding of what is our path to star players. And I think the the young talent that you mentioned, that's the big difference from this and when the Knicks, when the Knicks have tried to do this in the past. Because there hasn't been that core of young talent that they're filling around with role players. They're trying to build around the guys that are now supporting pieces. So, you know, a lot still depends on the development of Barrett, whether Mitchell Robinson retains his trade value quickly, whether last season, you know, was somewhat fluky. And I do think to go back to the Tyler Hero notion... Development isn't always linear from a team standpoint either. So they could take a step back next next year, but still be positioned to be better going forward, more sustainable going forward than they were coming off this past year. It's not what I would have done. I don't love any of these deals other than Burks, which I think is fine. I just don't think it's same old Knicks. I just, I just don't. Um, in part because I think what Barrett did last year is sustainable and what Quickly did last year is sustainable. And obviously, Nilakina and Knox don't really appear to be in their long-term prospects. We haven't even seen Toppin. Toppin barely got to do anything last year. Maybe he gets better. Um, I just don't hate it. Let's pivot to, um, I think, the team that maybe in the East had the most interesting day, and that's the Chicago Bulls, 
who sent out Garrett Temple and Tomas Sedaransky for Lonzo freaking ball, signed Alex Caruso uh, on, a, on a deal that I think is nice, um, and still has Thad Young and Pat Williams. And so their starting lineup right now is Lonzo Ball, Zach Levine, Nick Vucevic, Pat Williams, question mark, I guess. I don't know who that's going to be. We can debate it. But what did you think of the Lonzo fit and what the Bulls did uh, yesterday? I mean, I think that, you know, I wrote this last week in one of the five-on-fives we did. I think there's a pretty good chance that Lonzo long-term is considered the best contract signed in free agency this year. When you consider his age, the development curve of, you know, even if he's not really a traditional point guard, the development curve of point guards, the shooting jump that we've seen the last two years in New Orleans. And I, I do wish they could bring Fred Vinson with him from New Orleans to complete this trade. I don't know what they would have had to throw into that sign-in trade to also get Fred Vinson, but that would have been an, uh, an important pickup as well. I, given all of that, I think he was a great target for them. The price wasn't especially high on that sign-in trade. I mean, maybe, you know, we'll see if New Orleans flips Sadoransky after getting Devontae Graham. Maybe they get a second rounder for him. That seems reasonable. But it wasn't the first round pick that the Pelicans sent out to get Devontae Graham in that sign-in trade. So, you know, I think the price was reasonable. Do still have some questions about the depth in the front court. Thaddeus Young, if he starts, if he fills that question mark, not a lot coming off the bench. What's going to happen here with Laurie Markinen? So, just, so still some questions, but again, you get a 23-year-old as good as Lonzo Ball on a reasonable contract, that's a, that's a good day for you. I love this as a recovery from what has really been a wayward few years since they traded Jimmy Butler. I was one of the few people that did not love the Vucevic deal for them at the time. I liked it much better for Orlando than I did for Chicago. I, I still do. Um, they gave up two picks, one of which ended up being the number eight pick in this last draft, and Wendell Carter Jr., who is, I think, still 22 years old and, and is a meaningful player that they gave up. Um, but I thought they recovered well yesterday. I think Lonzo is a fantastic fit with Zach Levine. He does. He is not a traditional half-court point guard, and he does not have to be on this team. He can be the hybrid guard that he was in New Orleans, and, and I, I think you nailed it in, in your recap of this. I think him and Levine in transition is going to be magic. The problem is Nick Vucevic is is going to be uh, uh, trailing those plays by an extensive margin, and you just traded a lot of stuff to get him. But even in the half court, Vucevic is a double-team magnet in the post. He's a really good post-up player, even though he never draws fouls. Lonzo's going to get those kick-out threes. He's just going to introduce some verve and unpredictability into their offense in both the half court and the transition game, and he's a good defensive player, and he's a good rebounder, and all of that also applies to Alex Caruso. I like the way those two kind of fit with what the Bulls are doing, but to your point, for a team that's been bad for a while, the Bulls don't, and it's matters that Caruso and Lonzo are young. I think that's really important for the Bulls because they, they, went, they went too far accelerating with Vucevic, and now they've sort of dialed back the age curve, but for a team that's been bad for this long, they don't have enough stuff like look at all the stuff the Hawks have and you look at sort of all the stuff that didn't work out for the Bulls Markinen is he done there it, it seems like it we don't know we don't know that the market for him but they got Levine Markinen done and effect, effectively tanked to get Wendell Carter Jr. in the Jimmy Butler trade Markinen might be gone Dunn is gone in a non-entity Wendell Carter Jr. is gone um uh, you know, the Doug McDermott thing still lingers. They gave up two first-round picks to get Doug McDermott. It didn't, it didn't work out. There's just a sort of lot of quiet, trickling talent drain 
that has made like Kobe White is way too important to this team's future. Pat Williams absolutely has to hit for the Bulls. Has to, and I like Pat Williams. I do think he's going to hit. I don't know what that hit looks like. I mean, everyone wants to compare him to Kawhi Leonard. Let's just dial that back a little bit. Kawhi Leonard's a two-time Finals MVP. Dial the back, dial it back. But I think he's going to be a good player. But there isn't a lot here, considering how many shots they've taken at young players. That said, I love the Lonzo fit. I hate what New Orleans did. I'm going to talk about that with Tim McMahon later. Um, and I like the Caruso fit. I think this is going to be an interesting team next year. And by the way, they can't be done because they are under – they cannot miss the play-in next year. They cannot it, – they, it, they should be under a lot of pressure. To, and in fact, that should be – they should have higher expectations than that, even in a competitive East. But I think this is going to be a fun team. And I like taking a shot on Lonzo. Look, he's got some flaws – no, very minimal sort of half-court pick-and-roll game. Doesn't get to the rim. Doesn't get to the line. Although he finally shot well at the line last year. Not a very physical player. Like, doesn't take charges. Doesn't like to get in the fray of defensive physicality. I like him, and I like this fit. And they've still got, like, $19 million under the tax line to play with. So how exactly they managed to use that is fluid, I guess, would be the issue. You know, there's the potential of working the Caruso sign-in trade into the Daniel Tice signing in Houston, you could work it into the, I, I guess somehow you could work it into a marketing sign-in trade, and all of those would leave you with your, your mid-level exception still available to go add in the front court, or they maybe they just re-sign marketing. I, you know, there's a, there's a few different ways they could do this. I just think they're going to be fun next year. I, I could, just a couple other quick hitters, and I'll let you go. Uh, Milwaukee, depth issues after not re-signing P.J. Tucker to try to soften their tax payment. Got, got Bobby Portis back, good. Cleveland, Fine, Jared Allen extension. People balked at. I think it's fine. Uh, we need to. People need to stop reporting that they're trying to dump Larry Nance Jr. They're not. They love Larry Nance Jr. Charlotte. I'm going to talk about with Tim McMahon. I thought they've had a good a good week. Uh, Washington is TBD. Indiana lost Doug McDermott, retained T.J. McConnell, got Torrey Craig. They're still a very interesting team, which I, I just think something has to give there eventually, but nothing is really given there yet. Uh, anything else, KP? Before we journey away from the East. I, I Let's circle back to Atlanta real quick, because I, I have liked what they've done. DeLon Wright, a really solid backup to Trey Young, someone who's a little bit stretched as a starter we've seen in the past, but if you can put him in that backup role, he's great. If I were Boston, I would have just traded Tristan Thompson for him and not not gotten Josh Richardson uh, and Chris Dunn in that deal. I think that, that would have been a better scenario for them. And then uh, a very quiet value signing, I think, with Gorgie Jang at one year, $4 million. He fills that role of they needed a backup center to to play that spot while Onyeka Okongwu is recovering from shoulder surgery. But he's also not someone who's like so accomplished that it's a problem if you play Okongwu over him once Okongwu is healthy. I thought Okongwu showed a lot in the playoffs. He showed a nice touch on hooks and floors around the rim. He's a, he's a really competitive defensive player and rebounder. I, I liked what I saw from him. And as a rookie in really high-stakes playoff games, not like, oh, we're in a first-round series against crap team X in the East, like really high-stakes playoff games, he looked totally unafraid and ready. And I still, I'm, I'm a little surprised the John Collins deal hasn't come yet. Uh, I'm still expecting that to come. Knowing my luck, it'll come five minutes after this podcast, and this will sound stupid, but... Uh, I agree with you. I think the Hawks have have done a lot right and set themselves up next year to look. Can you realistically expect a conference finals appearance again? I, you know, I don't know. I don't think I, I would not pick them to make the conference finals, but it's not ridiculous. And they've, I think, are in position to sustain what they built upon in the playoffs once they and in really the Nate McMillan era. 
provided some good health. So I think that that's I, and then they they've also just sort of kicked the can, right? They they don't have a luxury tax urgency. Eventually, they will have to make a consolidation trade with Reddish, Herd, or all these guys. Hunter, it's too much money, but they don't have to do that now. They can see how it plays out, see how the market develops, and I think they've had a nice summer. Okay, KP, I'm going to head out west now with Ramona Shelburne and Tim McMahon. Uh, Kevin Pelton, just as good as it gets. Thank you for your time, sir. Thanks for having me. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes! Catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training just in time for summer and warmer days. It's also the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering on Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your personalized training in mind. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute course session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance, Peloton classes help you focus on your needs and goals. They are also made to challenge you with a variety of classes like boot camps, boxing, okay? full body strength, marathon training, all created to grow your skills or push you to improve in what you already excel in. Peloton's expert coaches and nonstop vibes, hashtag vibes, will push you to new levels of strength and endurance, keeping you on your toes while giving you the professional coaching you need. And with a wide variety of options, whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Get your head start on summer with Peloton at onepeloton.com. That's onepeloton.com. I went- All right, let's welcome in the one and only Momo Ramona Shelburne to talk about all things Lakers. Before we get to the Lakers, Momo, we have breaking news because I was I was theorizing that the Bucks were a little bit thin after losing P.J. Tucker. They just signed Rodney Hood, so we'll see if that um, alleviates their thinness uh, going forward. But Momo, let's talk about the team everyone always wants to talk about, the team everyone <laughs> loves and loves to hate, the Los Angeles Lakers. That's your specialty among your many specialties. How are you, Ramona? I'm doing good. You know, and, and I, I, I like to point out that um, the Lakers, I would say, Zach, they had maybe one or two years in there, the, those lean years where they were not interesting, the, the lean years where they were in the lottery every year. I would, what was it? Maybe one, one year. And other than that, they're always interesting. Like whatever they do, <laughs> there's, they give us a lot to talk about. Uh, they certainly do. They have Russell Westbrook yeah. on their team le- now, which which I talked about last last uh, week when it happened. Let's just yep. reca- let's just zoom out, zoom yep. out, and recap. A wild day in Lakerdom yesterday. They have so far signed after after acquiring Russell Westbrook, yep. they had 128 million dollars co- committed to like four and a half guys. So not a lot yep. of flexibility below the luxury tax line. They have so far signed. Are you ready, Momo? Ready. Dwight Howard. Stint number three for the Lakers. <laughs> after fall, after tweeting last, remember he tweeted that he was yeah. signing with the Lakers and then deleted the tweet and signed with another team. Well, now maybe his tweet was just scheduled one year early. Uh, Wayne <laughs> Ellington, who was a who was a thirty eight percent three point shooter for his career. Kent Bazemore shot forty one percent from three last year. Trevor Ariza kind of worked, kind of did it as a stopgap small ball four for mm-hmm. the Heat last year. Shot thirty five percent three. A bunch of old guys. 
Kent Bazemore's not that old. A bunch of old friends. Woj is reporting that Carmelo Anthony yep. could join them. Here's the balls that we still have up in the air. Can they sign and trade Dennis Schroeder for anything? We'll see. Taylor Horton Tucker is a restricted free agent. It would behoove them, behoove them, I say, to bring him back. And Alex Caruso, most controversially, was not retained, signed a four-year, $37 million deal, I think, with the Chicago Bulls. From what I have heard and what you have heard, the Lakers' offer was not close, which belies some luxury tax concerns. And frankly, I think they're going to miss Alex Caruso. I think this team is has gotten old and squishy defensively and really needs players in their primes. And Caruso is not a perfect player. His shooting goes up and down, but he's a good player. He's in his prime. I think it hurts. They also still have the taxpayer mid-level exception. The hot rumor is they're trying to get Patty Mills. Momo, where should we start here? Like, what, what do we think of this team? It's, it's, it's definitely, it's changed a lot. Um, uh, and, and maybe just by having those three guys, they're the de facto favorites in the West. Um, but it, it's, it's been a weird, it's been a weird two weeks for the Lakers, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we should start with the Westbrook trade, right? I mean, doesn't that feel like where we should start since you haven't, have you done a podcast addressing any of the Westbrook trade? I know you wrote a, you wrote a column. Yeah, no, I, I, I did. I did, but we can do it. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it does feel like the Westbrook trade is going to define this season. I mean, this is last year they finished and, and a lot of the players said, hey, let's run it back. We, you know, we all just got hurt and we should just run it back with this group. And clearly that was not ever going to be the case. Um, and this is year three of, of Rob Palenka proving he's a man of action. Right? Not not going to sit back and just run things back. Even after winning a championship, they, they went out and tried to make things better. And so, well, this year, to me at least, is going to be a referendum. Did it work? Did it not? Did the Westbrook trade, did they fit? Did he did he somehow fit in with Anthony Davis and LeBron James? Is that, is that um, I think it's going to be really good content all year for us. I think it'll be really interesting. I don't know about the basketball fit, but what, but we also didn't know about the basketball fit in Brooklyn when they made those deals. Um, and so there's a part of me that says I, I'm fascinated by every dynamic of that. The other side of signing a bunch of guys on vet minimums and filling out the roster that way, I, you know, I still think there's even more moves to come. I still think they're going to, they can be active trade wise. They just don't have as many trade ships, which is where the Caruso um, situation comes in, whether they wanted him or not, they had, they could have created a trade exception and they chose not to. Um, or they could have tried to do something like that, and they didn't. But they have other things. Uh, they, they have other situations. I mean, there's going to be a, a robust buyout market, Zach, I think. So whether you add somebody to the team now or later, that's still an option. Um, so I, I, I almost want to reserve judgment on what they do for the rest of the roster until we see the moves that are forthcoming. Because you mentioned Patty Mills. Yes, that's that's a name we've we've heard. But... I still think there could be other names on that buyout market that either added before the season or after or during. Before we even go forward talking about the team, you wrote a story about how the Russell Westbrook trade came to be. <laughs> Can you rewind and tell listeners the beginning of that story, which involves Kawhi Leonard? Because that was that was <laughs> delicious. I felt like I was de- devouring a nice medium rare steak. Just de- I, I loved every yeah. second of that anecdote. Please tell that story. You know what was fun, Zach? Also, um, I, I love it on our ESPN Plus stories when they have the jump to like where you have to decide where they're going to keep reading the story or log in. Um, I was like, please, please, please make it right before you get just enough of the cliffhanger or just enough of what actually happened 
so that you want to click on the rest of it. <laughs> right? and I was like, Wait, we can there. we can negotiate things like that? No, no, no. I I wish I could. I just was hoping. I just I woke up and I was like, okay, good. It's right there. You get just enough of it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know that I've been trying to write that story for two years. I think you know. I don't know if you've heard some version of this. Um, as we unpack that wild summer move in 2019. Um, but uh, I think we're always going to be writing about that move in 2019 where Kawhi Leonard calls up Paul George and says, hey, let's let's get to L.A. together. And then not only does Kawhi go with to sign with the Clippers, but within moments, this massive trade for Paul George is worked out with Oklahoma City. And it was all a coordinated uh, plan, of course. But just unpacking that that whole set of events, I feel like I've written at least four stories on this. I don't know how many you've written. Um, and every time I do it, there's there's new nuggets there's new bits of information and the one piece that i had that i had heard maybe i would say maybe it's about 18 months since i've heard the the part where russ was really the lead actor in this russell westbrook that summer had was in oklahoma city he and paul george had lost in the first round if you remember and he had you know he was in his 30s then and and had just had his twins he's obviously got a lot of family in Los Angeles that's always been a pull so while he was very loyal to Oklahoma City and he loved it there he would have been happy to retire there they um you know there was always a pull if it, if he if he was going to leave if there was ever going to be a situation it would be for either the Lakers or the Clippers something to get home where he could be around his family and grandparents grandparents you know would could see the kids all the time you know these these are I have to say, I, I yeah. have to say, Momo. Yeah, I'm not from Los Angeles. I love visiting Los Angeles. Yeah. People who are from LA really, yeah. really love where they're from. I don't know yeah. if that's a universal thing, but you just there's a, such an immense pride in the basketball culture here. Yeah. and obviously, like it's beautiful every day. There's beaches. I don't. I just find that there's certain places people really love where they fr- yeah. where they're from. LA is is one of them. People love LA. Yeah, there's a whole song you might have heard it after Lakers wins. It's just I <laughs> yeah. love LA. So in the summer of 2019, Russ, just as a, I would say it was more of a thought bubble early on. Um, You know, Kawhi wants to get back to LA. He was deciding between the Raptors, the Lakers, and the Clippers. We had all been hearing that the Clippers were in the lead, and it it just took him actually doing it for us to to fully believe it, right? Um, But Russ calls Kawhi in that summer and says, hey, let's let's play together. Let's, Let's get back to LA together. And Kawhi has the phone call. I have no idea how long it was. I can't imagine that's a long phone call. And then just picturing Kawhi on the phone, right? Um, but he thinks about it. They have a polite conversation. And he doesn't really have an interest in playing with us. It's just a cool, thanks. You know, appreciate the idea, but I don't, I don't really want to. That's not my, I don't think it'll work. Do you think he said no? Do you think he said no, or do you think he just know. did the thing where, like, we're like, yeah, man, yeah, let's get lunch sometime. You, you know, know we should called? definitely get lunch sometime, and you know, and nobody means it. Neither yeah. you nor we, the we other person Hollywood actually Hollywood. wants to get lunch. <laughs> we have a phrase here in LA. It's called the Hollywood yes. You know, it's the Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should totally get together. Let's get the kids together. Let's get the kid. Let's get it. Let's get everyone together. And have some drinks. And everyone knows I don't actually want to get together with you. I'd rather yeah. sit in my bed and watch television than spend so. Anyway, okay, go ahead. No, you're right. Well, you, I definitely know you'd rather sit in your bed and watch television. What, what movies have you watched so far since you've been on this trip? 
None. It's free what? agency. I'm going to oh, reward yeah. myself with a. Uh, I'm going to. I have a couple in the wheelhouse where I'm going to reward myself once this is over. But please, okay, so <laughs> okay. so Russ so calls, which by Russ the way is a big is a big step yeah. for Russell Westbrook because he's big, Mister. I don't recruit. I'm the blah blah yeah. blah. Calling Kawhi Leonard, who's like I don't even know what Kawhi Leonard's phone mannerisms are, but it can't be verbose. Like, yeah. hey man, hey, so you yeah. want to play together? <laughs> like that's that's almost like asking someone out on a date. Yeah. So. Um, Kawhi's not interested and you know rather than just like sitting on it you know you don't always have to tell everybody but uh, he uses it I've heard he called not just not just uh, Paul George afterwards he called some other people um, uh, he called some other people let's just leave it at that and uh, he calls Paul George and says hey I, I just got a call from your guy um, you know I, I just you know we should go play together in LA because if you don't you might not be, you might get left behind in Oklahoma City. Ooh. And Paul George, Ooh. Paul George goes, what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and this is kind of what starts this entire domino effect of like, I mean, I kind of, like in a way you understand with Paul, right? Where he had decided to re-sign in Oklahoma City because he felt like he and Russ had unfinished business. They had formed a bond. They were happy there together. But both of them are from Los Angeles and had various, options to go back to LA over the years and had chosen to play together in Oklahoma City but there was always in the back of your mind um, this option of, of coming home so when Kawhi called Paul not only was it activating this hey I want to go back and play in front of my family I wrote a whole cover story about this a couple of years ago where you know Paul and his family are from Palmdale and his mom as you know had a stroke when he was growing up and she's uh she's a little bit limited but you know she she goes to all his games and it's really hard for her to travel and in the back of his head, he always thought it'd be nice if he could come to Staples Center instead. Uh, all of these things lined up, but it's just amazing to me that the juiciness now of any future Laker and Clipper matchup now that Westbrook is on the Lakers, because Russ not only he makes, he places this call sort of like one guy from LA to another, and not only does it backfire, but it sends him on this odyssey where he's he gets traded three times in four years. Well, I don't think the Lakers need angry Russ because angry Russ tends to shoot a lot. <laughs> and that's, that's well, I don't yeah. need him to be that angry. So, first of all, that's wonderful. And I wish Kawhi were going to be healthy because can we just get Lakers Clippers in the playoffs? Can we finally get it in the playoffs at full yep. throttle? But, but, but we're, that may, be, may not be in the cards. Let's zoom out. So here's the vision for the Lakers. Yep. Okay, we get Russ. Russ is literally probably the worst high-volume shooter accuracy-wise, in the history of the NBA. Generally, you do not want to pair LeBron with bad high-volume shooters, okay? Anthony Davis's jump shot has quietly kind of not gotten yep. to where people thought it was. It, to his credit, he made some monstrous jump shots in the playoffs in their title run when it mattered the most, including most famously that buzzer beater over uh, the Nuggets after they botched the switch. So here's the vision. We have Russ. We're going to have to play AD at center more. To, to unlock that, we're going to have to get some perimeter players who can shoot. Okay, they kind of checked those boxes with Ellington, Bazemore, and Ariza. All those guys can shoot, with the exception of Ariza, who's hit or miss. It, those guys are available for the minimum for a reason. And now Bazemore may have turned down more. Whether it's um, defensively, they're going to be a problem against great offensive teams. are going to pick on them. Ellington's a really interesting player because he likes to shoot off movement and handoffs and stuff like that. And I'm not sure the Lakers are going to have a ton of that in their offense for him. 
uh, we'll see. Mello would certainly certainly fit the shooting bill, but again, defensive liability. So so the vision is like we'll play AD at center more. We got to surround this team with more shooting because of Russ, and and but. We still want to be able to play big because we like playing big. We like having a center in AD and LeBron. We feel like we're monstrous defensively. So here comes Dwight reprising his role that he's played for us before. We just won't play that as, as much um, as we maybe maybe did when we had you know all these big centers that we'd like to play. JaVale, Drummond, on and on. I, I get, I get, and the Lakers can plausibly say, hey, we won the title. We won the championship with a team construction of LeBron and AD playing AD playing center when it mattered against Houston and Miami specifically, and a non-shooting point guard in Rondo or a shaking shooting point yep. guard in Rondo that won us the title. To me, this is a whole new team, and I'm fascinated to see it because the difference between Rondo and Russ is a Rondo has actually become a, a better three-point shooter than Russ, uh-huh. and it's not close. And B, Russ shoots all the time. Rondo does not shoot very much. Rondo wants to make the extra pass and cut and screen. Russ wants to shoot. He wants to shoot now, tomorrow, the next day, all the time, (laughs) every possession. Russ wants to shoot. He has been third on his team in shot attempts once in his entire career. That was his rookie season by a half a shot behind Jeff Green. Anytime Russ is taking shots and pick and roll possessions for LeBron and AD, it's not good. That said, LeBron and AD are so freaking good. That that team construction, if you just want to tell me LeBron solves everything, it works, that's fine. Here are my two worries. The the decline in defense in the supporting players. Now, maybe they get an Avery Bradley or someone that can come help them, but Ellington, Bazemore, Ariza's old. Like, defensively, the burden on LeBron and AD is going to be enormous now, and that worries me. Like, can those shooters stay on the floor when it matters? Can Taylor Horton Tucker, assuming they bring him back, make enough shots when it matters? I just think they have a lot of questions. But if you tell me right now they're the favorites to win the West, I I don't know that I could craft, like, a cogent argument against that because the two guys are so freaking good, and LeBron is still – people are like – we had this – I was on the jump last week, and we did the thing we do – where we had a segment, Momo, that was like, is Giannis the best player in the NBA? Uh-huh. And and I said, number one, I, I really don't like that segments yeah. because we just pit guys Me against too. each other. And number two, like the last time we did this was with Kawhi Leonard after 2019. Is Kawhi mm-hmm. the best player in the NBA? Flash forward a year, a certain someone is on the court holding multiple trophies and saying, I want my damn respect. Like LeBron was going to win the MVP or at least finish second before he got injured this year. That's how good this guy still is. Maybe LeBron is just that good. Like, I'm I'm open to that argument. Maybe Anthony Davis is is just that good. But I think defensively, they face much more questions, many more questions here, because Russ is not a good defensive player. People think he is, but he's not. but, I, I, you know, we'll see. And, and they still can bring back Wes Matthews and Markeith Morris. I frankly think they should bring back Markeith Morris. And they'll get some guys to come on the minimum. I think Paul Millsap would be in a really good fit here Ooh. if they could somehow coax him um, on, on the minimum. But, you know, I, I, I just – if they end up having to play a traditional center a lot because their defense just isn't good enough, Ooh. that's the part where they hit a tipping point where I begin to get worried because I think Russ, LeBron, AD, traditional center – traditional non-shooting center is just going to be a slog in the half court. Well, also perimeter defenders, right? And that's where I think losing Caruso, losing KCP. I mean, Zach, you yeah, had we a, didn't a, talk, we didn't talk about KCP. KCP is yeah. good. KCP yeah. was the third best player when they won the championship. Yeah. And, and really good perimeter defender as well. 
um, to the point where when if you wanted to vote for a Laker because they had the best defense last year on your all NBA teams, like you had a real debate between KCP and Alex Caruso and, and just as a sort of team reward where we should vote for someone on that team. Um, you know what my no. solution my solution was huh. vote for no one but that's yeah, I, that, but I that's fine that. yeah i know i it, it was uh i felt that way with the lakers and the knicks and like you should vote for someone on the two best defensive teams um anyway you know Doug, it's, it's weird they they built that championship and they built they stayed in contention really last year when lebron and ad were out with all their injuries based on their defense and that, that to me is is the biggest question here i know trevor ariza can be a good defender, can be a good perimeter defender, but I don't want to say he's a gray beard. He's not, I mean, you and I are older than him, but, um, you know, he's not, he's not what he was in 2009 when he was the Lakers the first time around. So I, you know, that, that to me is the biggest question is what is this team going to look like defensively? I know the shooting is, everybody said, okay, Russ, let's, let's reserve judgment till we see what kind of shooting they get around him. But I, I think to me, it's more defense that I have a, I have a real, question about how that's going to look especially on the perimeter especially in that western conference um and so you know that that is where this roster and i and i I keep saying i want to reserve judgment i just feel like the lakers are positioned as a team to every guy that gets bought out i hear them connected Uh, it's going to be between them and brooklyn every time um every um every guy every vet like you mentioned Millsap. that's a that's a really good it's a really good fit. We'll, we'll see what happens with Kemba Walker. Um, we'll see what happens with DeAndre Jordan. We'll see what happens with a couple of – there's a couple of veterans out there that you can plausibly see at some point during this year. The, the issue is they don't have as many options, and that's where we get back to the decision on Caruso, which is, you know, I, I think they got to a point where they said championship teams, you, you have the same core. The core is LeBron and AD. This year they added to that core by getting Westbrook, but the role players generally change. You look back through dynastic runs, whether it's the Lakers, whether it's the Warriors, whether it's any it's the Spurs, the role players generally change. They, you know, they might stick around for a couple of years here and there, but KCP three and D guy, Alex Crusoe, really good, smart player, great defender on the wing. Can you find somebody else who can do those things? Maybe not quite as well, but for a lot less cost here. And I think they believe they can, and I'll, I'll, I'll give them a little latitude because we said the same thing about Brooklyn and, and look, look what they picked up and it actually didn't matter. As long as those guys are healthy, it would have been fine. So yeah, I, I guess I, I, I guess I'm with this in the, in the Caruso thing where, you know, they had two, there were, Caruso had a couple of deals and uh, you know, I'm sure you're, you've heard some of these too, Zach, right? Where he had a couple of deals Somewhere around the mid-level, one was a team that didn't have to do a sign-and-trade, which is the Bulls, and that was the one he preferred anyway. But I heard the Timberwolves are in on this. Um, it would have been a sign-and-trade, and they actually would have taken back Marcus All. Like, that could have been salary cap relief for the Lakers, not just a trade exception. Um, so we'll see if they end up needing those exceptions. We'll see if they end up needing those extra tools to build this roster out. Cause I think that's, that's really where we're going to decide was the Westbrook trade a success. Well, look, the Caruso decision was a tax decision, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and even the Russ trade was uh, the, the tax was, was, was not, yeah. not a consideration because 
Schroeder plus Heald plus KCP plus other role players is probably going to end up being more expensive than Russ, even though Russ makes a massive amount of money. Yep. And look, you can sit here and quibble and say, how can you worry about the tax when you have LeBron James approaching age 37? Like, you should be all into win now. They, they, they worried about it, and that's their prerogative. Let me just, let's say what Russ will bring to the team, okay? Because there's all this focus, including by me, about the shooting and how he does absolutely nothing when he doesn't have the ball. He just stands there. Yeah. Um, but what he will bring to the team is transition. They're going to yep. rebound and run. And when they won the title, yep. they did so on the back of the best fast break attack in the NBA. He will absolutely accentuate that. Number two, the obvious one is they just need to protect LeBron's minutes. They need to yep. protect his his burden on offense. And Russ will happily accept any burden that you give him. So I think in, those, in that sense, I think it makes a lot of sense. And the more they can play AD at center, the more that to me minimizes the damage of Russ's shooting. So he's, he is going to bring all those things. But I think all these questions are fair. And I, I guess where I land on the Lakers is, look, we're, we're I don't know, 60% through free agency. Stuff is going to change. Mm-hmm. Guys are going to get injured. Jamal Murray's already probably out for yeah. all or most of the season. That that vaporizes one contender, although I, I think Denver had a good day yesterday. We talked about Kawhi. You know, Phoenix, can they replicate what they did? And on and on. The, the Warriors, you know, they've gone young instead of, you know, making the big splash that everybody was was thinking they might make. So, so maybe the Lakers do enter as favorites. I just, t- to me, to give them that nod, I, I've, and we didn't talk about Utah, I just need to see it first. Like, I'm not ready to just say this is a lock on paper. These are the favorites in the Western Conference. I need to see it first. Yeah. But maybe I'm just underestimating LeBron. I don't know. Well, and, and Zach, I, we, we, we've gone this entire pod with barely mentioning Anthony Davis. And, and what was, I think, we could all agree was a fairly disappointing season, not just because of the injuries, but when he did play, he wasn't, he was not that AD from 2020. And some of that is just injuries. And when you come back, it takes a while to get your legs under you. He never really had his legs under him. Some of that is, is just, I I think he was, there was a hangover from 2020. Like they, they, they had that compressed off season. He didn't come back, you know, full of, piss and vinegar right and it was almost a play your way into shape type of deal i i think russ in terms of a culture setter everywhere he has been russell westbrook is a culture setter whether whether you like the culture he sets or not is up to you okay but i think he is such a hard worker such a good influence on on how you do this job professionally how you play hard every single night um he in a lot of ways has gotten to a place in his career where I, I think we can we can safely say he hasn't really been on a championship contender since Kevin Durant left. Is that is that fair? I mean, well, and also and also he need, he this is like this is LeBron James. Yeah, this isn't this isn't you know whatever number one option you want to make up. This is maybe the greatest player yeah. in NBA history, and I think this is really the first situation where Russ has to look at it and say, "I'm the third best player on the team," mm-hmm. and I, I don't even think that's even close to arguable. And so maybe this is finally the time where he leans into being more of a cutter, more of a screener, more of the things everyone has been asking Russell Westbrook to be for 15 years, for 10 years, maybe playing with LeBron. I I don't think, I don't, I don't expect it to happen because, you know, the tiger doesn't change his stripes or whatever animal analogy that you use to say people don't change. Um, (laughs) But if you're ever going to change, if you're ever going to change, it's playing with LeBron James that will make you change because there is no dispute about who should have the ball. There should be no dispute about who should have the ball the most. I'm just, I can't wait to watch this team play. I can't wait to see who they add. I just think, I think they've got some questions to answer. That's all, and that's, mm-hmm. and that, and that's fair. Momo, any parting thoughts on the uh, 
the 17-time champion Los Angeles Lakers? Well, um, I know that they are very focused and they have been on number 18. That was one of Jerry Buss's like white whales. Like, we got to get more than the Celtics. We got to get more than the Celtics. And I keep hearing that everywhere, which is that's all they care about is going for the title, going for the title. And so I think, you know, anybody wants to say like long-term planning or how are you filling out that roster in a, in a sustainable way for the next five years, whatever, they don't care. It's, they got to win 18. Well, when, when you get LeBron yeah. James is at, in his thirties, you, you yeah. that all goes out the window. You figure all that stuff out later. Yeah. yeah you too. Sure. It would be cute to try to thread the needle. I mean, the warriors are trying to do that yeah. now. Right. I mean, and there, and, and Joe Lacob is doubling and tripling down on, we don't think we need to make a trade. We think Steph Clay and Draymond and Andrew mm-hmm. Wiggins are, and are, are good enough, and we want to bridge the gap. And he's being very open about we want to be the Spurs. We want to be good yep. for 25 years. That's hard to do. The Spurs the Spurs drafted a generational star in Kawhi Leonard, mm-hmm. traded for him at the draft, um, and, and made uh, drafted all-stars in the late 20s in Tony Parker and then in the second round in, in Manu Ginobili. That's hard to do. And and most times you do what the Lakers are doing, which is just you're all in to win right yeah. now. And and they should be. They're the Lakers. Um, all right, Momo. Well, it's always good to talk to you. Um, I will see you in a couple hours to do uh, the Yeah, jump. sounds good, Zach. Thanks. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right, let's wrap up by bringing in a guy who is literally wearing a Pluto hat with the floppy ears. Not a goofy hat. It's Pluto, I think, with yeah, the floppy ears. I might have to take a screenshot of this to tweet it to the world and embarrass you to talk about some winners and losers in the Western Conference so far in free agency, which is like somewhat, you know, over, majority over. Mm-hmm. Mr. Tim Band McMahon. The Pluto hat has a tongue, too. It, it has his, his tongue is sticking out. Good purchase. Ton eyes. I mean, listen, we uh we squeezed in a little a little Disneyland stop post draft pre free agency. <sighs> made it work. Made it work. And uh and and here we are. Let's start with your your local team, the Dallas Mavericks, who for 
the 47th year in a row did not get the sought after star free agent that they had targeted in Kyle uh, Lowry. How dare you insult Chandler Parsons like that? But go on. Fair, fair point. Um, fair point. I still remember the anecdote in your Chandler Parsons story of after a night out with Mark Cuban and the boys, Chandler Parsons pulling away in the backseat of a car, screaming out the window at Cuban to max him or else. It's max a great. or nothing, mother trucker. To paraphrase, wow. he's <laughs> and, just throwing the MF bomb at, and, at the franchise. Well, and, and and Cuban ultimately chose nothing, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> about, about, about nothing. Uh, so, in in after losing on Kyle Lowry, the Mavericks signed uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. back on about four years, seventy-two million. Reggie Bullock, ten million a year. Boban back, picked up Willie Cauley Stein. Sneaky deal for Sterling Brown, which I really mm-hmm. like um, for them. Essentially, they have. I don't want to say kick the can, but in the absence of Kyle Lowry, who would have been a perfect fit. And by the way, I think the Mavericks were correct to go for Kyle Lowry. I think the Mavericks were correct to say, we're running out of bites at the Apple on cap space. Luka is yeah. so good that we're ready to win the champion, contend for the championship. Now, we don't care that Kyle Lowry's 35. He's perfect. Let's get him. They didn't get him. And so they sort of just said, okay, let's just keep going with what we have, except let's get even more shooting right. and wing shooting specifically around Luca, and I think Sterling Brown he, he shot 40 plus from three in Houston last year he's a multi-positional defender he's not that he's okay defensively he's not like a stopper but right. he's flexible I think he's a sneaky good signing but again the idea that they're going to take some of the burden off Luca, he wore down in the second half of all these playoff games they haven't solved that issue there's still work yet to be done but Luca plus rollers plus shooting is is interesting I understand Mavs fans are a little disappointed they didn't they didn't get the big fish. They still have this Porzingis question to answer. What is he? Is he a five? Can he play the five full time? Do we have to play fives next to him? Um, what's his role on offense? All that. How should Mavs fans feel right now about what they've done? I mean, I can understand the disappointment um, of, of basically knowing days before free agency started, you're not going to get the, the top target uh, in Kyle Lowry. I, I will say this. Bringing back Hardaway was always a priority. You know, they if 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 they'd have gotten Lowry, they were going to try to work a sign and trade and still bring back Tim Hardaway. Uh, he he has become an absolutely essential part of the Mavericks, and I think he has great chemistry with Luca. He's really well suited to play off of Luca that that quick trigger. Uh, and you know, I the the one thing I think is important to remember about the Mavericks: no, they did not get out of the first round. But they pushed a healthy Clippers team to seven games. Um, you know, a Clippers team that hey, if Kawhi doesn't go down, who knows what happened? They they pushed a legitimate contending team to seven games, and they feel like there's going to be some natural growth uh, in that roster. Um, you know, they they feel like Porzingis will be better after a healthy offseason. Um, you know, they, they think there's still room for growth with with Luca with some of these other young guys and and the guy who really at this point needs to take another step for them is Jalen Brunson who had I think we can agree he had a really really good regular season was was a six man of the year candidate and his first taste of the postseason was you know wasn't good I uh, you know he just was not effective against the Clippers and and so they need him to uh to to take another step but the the idea of you've got a bona fide MVP candidate who's one of the best creators in the world 
And so let's double down on shooting. You know, Bullock is... And by the way, he's like single-handedly turning Slovenia oh my into the dream team. I mean, they can't, they don't lose. They've, they literally have not lost with Luka Doncic playing. 17-0 and 0 now. Obviously, these Olympics, you know, Eurobasket, when he's with the Slovenian national team, 17 and They're 0. throwing the box in one at him. They're <laughs> triangle. Who knows what the hell gimmick defense he And they just keep winning. Yeah. Now, uh, the other thing that's obviously frustrating for Mavericks fans is, oh, great. No, great idea to surround Luka with as much shooting as possible. Now, explain that Seth Curry for Josh Richardson deal again. <laughs> so you that, know, look, I, listen, it looks, I, it looks bad. It was bad in the end. I can't pretend that I liked that trade for both teams because I just thought the Mavs needed. I thought the Mavs needed to get the better defensively. Uh, I did not think Seth Curry. I, I liked Seth Curry. I've always liked Seth Curry. He exceeded my expectations in Philadelphia. I thought Josh Richardson was going to have a bounce back season. I was totally wrong. He became unplayable by the playoffs, and they just dumped him. They dumped him for Moses Brown. Well, um, they dumped him you know, for just for trade exception, trade exception, right? and, and and a project center, and they they think Moses Brown might have a future, and he might. Um, but I'll tell you what I'll tell you what Moses Brown is is freaking enormous. He oh, looks like he's nine human. feet tall. I, I I he's listed as like a normal seven one or seven two. I, for something about him, he looks like Paul Bunyan. He's like a big bodied seven two. I don't know what his wingspan is, but it is it's certainly rather large. And you know he's a guy who he's had some pretty monstrous double doubles. Now you know again he. he He's a project, but he's a, he's at least a worthy flyer and and a a small salary. They do have a lot of centers, and obviously, you know there there's a lot of uh, of speculation about Goran Dragic, Luca's Slovenian mentor, uh, ending up getting rerouted to Dallas, um, it, you know via Toronto. I have been told that the Mavericks are not eager to add Dragic with a $19 million salary. I don't see how it would make sense for the Raptors to buy him out. Um, but, you know, keep, keep, keep your eyes open. Uh, yeah, on- you, you you got me right to my point, which is the Dragic thing. Like, I, I don't know their path to the, to the, you know, point guard who can work off the ball and relieve Luka a little bit. I don't know what that path is. Trade-wise, they don't have much to offer Toronto. Yeah, I wouldn't buy Goran Dragic out if I were Toronto. He's a good player. Like yeah. I would. And so, and, yeah, and why, other, why, why, why make that sign and trade just to give him a bunch of money to go play somewhere else? It doesn't make sense. And the other name, I mean, I, I've had executives on seven teams in the last two days say, "Hey, have you have you heard the Thunder might buy out Kevin Kevin Walker? Have you heard about a p- possible Kevin Walker buyout?" And my response has been only from you guys who are asking <laughs> yeah, o- me about OKC okay, so didn't buy out anybody. And I said, like, guys, I mean, we just watched this movie four different times with Oklahoma yeah. City, who has these albatross contracts you can't get, and then they trade them. Like, I, I don't and, and get but, a first round pick in return. <laughs> but it's 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 radio silence as usual from them. I, the The number is just enormous. Yeah. It's thirty six million, and then an option for about the same amount the year after that. I, I just, I don't. Maybe they'll buy him out. Maybe they. Won't. I mean, that's a tough one to trade given his health issues. But he he'd be a good fit there. But yeah, to your point. I don't know what the path to that guy is. This might just be the team. You might just have to live with this is the team. Right. And, and again, you know, it's a team that pushed the Clippers to seven games. You you add Bullock, you add Brown, two guys who are, you know, capable three-point shooters. Um, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about Bullock's defensive capabilities. Solid. Very solid. solid. Yeah. And like you said, Brown is solid. So it, it's – it's they. They need a couple things to happen here. They need Porzingis, and this is, we've been saying this forever, they need Porzingis to be a bona fide co-star. 
and they need Brunson to to take the next step in what's been, uh, with the exception of that playoff series, a very promising uh, career trajectory for him. And Brunson, I believe, is a free agent after the, after this coming season. Um, Extension and Mavs, eligible, and that's you know we'll see. Yeah, and the Mavs are and the Mavs are now after all these deals, they're going to be capped out next summer too. Once Luca's mega extension kicks in, which is just a formality. I mean, it's going to be a big bomb when it happens. But he's get here's the spoiler: Luca's getting all the money. The only and the a player only option. drama. That's the only drama. <laughs> yeah, no, is there's no you drama. Get the player there. option. There's no drama, no drama there. I mean, come on. Like what? It, Cuba's going. No, we're, we're no. Luca, as as a Mavs, I asked about the player option a couple months ago, and I was told Luca gets what he wants. Why? Well, why wouldn't he? But take that's that? the only question. Like maybe he doesn't. Like maybe he. There, there are players who have been like, you know what? I like this team. Give me the full five. It, every player should agitate for the player option because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen as your as your career goes on. But look, this is and will continue to be about Porzingis, as mm-hmm. you just said. Yeah. And Perk and I were are debating yesterday. Perk is on this train of, well, they need to get Porzingis the ball. Porzingis needs to have the ball, get him the ball. Why? Why do you need to get Kristaps Porzingis the ball in the post? No. In the mid post? So he can take shots that go in at like a 40% rate and he never gets fouled. And you right. don't need to get Kristaps Porzingis the ball. What they need to do is get comfortable enough with his defense and shot blocking to play him at the five. Because we have seen this all the time with these stretch bigs who when you play them at the four in the playoffs all of their ability as a screen setter pick and pop threat goes out the window because people put wings on them they switch everything the clippers now the clippers have been uniquely positioned to do it but they've just switched everything on porzingis and he played really well by the way in the bubble he still played really well yeah like there's a really good player in there still he just needs to play more five less four or at least be put in positions where his ability as a screen setter and a pick and pop three point shooter is a threat. Because if you take that away, he just doesn't do enough offensively. Now maybe he'll grow as a post player, maybe not. But like to me, this the everything about the Mavericks and where they can hit their apex with Luca is about Porzingis and whether he makes another jump or recovers the bubble form or whatever phraseology you want to use. Or are they ever able to turn him into something that fits better? That's that's everything for the franchise is right there. Yeah, and Porzingis has played much more five and four with the Mavericks. Um, I'm, I'm going to point out two things. Number one, the Clippers were the worst possible matchup for him. Because just like you said, they were going to put a wing on him. You know, A lot of times it was Kawhi. Posting up Porzingis against Kawhi, I mean, the the, the Clippers will send you uh, an evite beforehand and a thank you E-vite. card. Evite, wow! Yeah. I haven't gotten an evite in fifteen years. Oh, yeah, that just came to mind. And a thank you card afterwards, like that. You, you force feeding him a, a mediocre post up player against a guy who, because here's the problem with Porzingis post ups: he's catching the ball at sixteen feet. He ain't catching it at, at eight feet or ten feet, and so that's why he's an inefficient post-up player. Uh, and guess what? Against against Kawhi, he's catching the ball wherever the hell Kawhi wants him to catch it because he's going to put his forearm in his back and just take him wherever he wants to go. So and if he dribbles, it's it's uh, oh, it's 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 it's, it's swipe go and going the other way. We've seen that movie before. Um, so you know, look, pick and pick and roll, Porzingis or uh, Luca Porzingis. Of the high-volume pick-and-roll guys, they actually were the most efficient in the league last year, but there are matchups where it's just not going to work 
the Clippers were number one on that list. And so that's the number one problem. But the biggest thing about Porzingis, we always want to say, okay, what's, you know, what's his points per game? What's his this, that? Is he going to be a massive liability defensively or not? Last year, he, he the mobility was so bad. I think a lot of times the effort, which is that is directly related often to how often he's touching the ball offensively. The effort wasn't there. Lack of mobility, lack of effort, that's a really tough combination. Um, but the year before, Porzingis was a plus defensively, you know. So coming off of a healthy offseason, you know, pissed off, having read all these things about how bad he is. Can he get back to being a, a, at least a solid defender? That's a huge deal. That that's a that's to me is a bigger deal than how, you know how much is he uh, posting up and all that crap. I'm with you, and if the answer to that question is yes, I, I like this team. I, I I don't know what their ceiling is. I don't know how far they get, but we've seen how dangerous they can be in the playoffs against a team that you know if Kawhi doesn't get hurt. Are they the champions of the NBA? Maybe. I don't yeah. know. I mean, like, that's how good they were playing uh, and and how they kind of found their eased into their identity as the rounds, uh, rounds went on. Um, and, and, and by the way, they, they got it taken to them in game seven, despite Luka going for 46 and 14. Uh, reminder, though, it took an absolute superhuman performance from Kawhi in game six to keep the Mavericks from winning that series. All-timer. All-timer. Yeah. Maybe, and I remember- maybe his best playoff performance. And I remember thinking, I watched that game in the same hotel that I'm in right now. I'm thinking, I don't know how many players have played better two-way playoff games oh, in this. And like three weeks later, Kevin Durant put up 49-17 yeah, right. and 10 in game five against the Well, okay, I guess well, it's all better then, And then Giannis goes for, you know, 50-whatever with oh, five blocks to, to still, close out the season. <laughs> I still, I still think about the free throws in that game. Yeah. 17 of 19. And... And I'm like, did I have an out of body? Did that happen? Like he shot 17 of 19 in a finals closeout game after being a bad free throw shooter the entire playoffs in his entire postseason career. Dirty little secret about Giannis, by the way, his regular season free throw percentage is 72%. Yeah. It's it's Not dropped bad. into it's dropped to 59-60 in the playoffs. That says to me there's either either the physical strain of 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 the playoffs or or the mental stress of the playoffs is taking a toll. If Giannis were just a seventy percent free throw shooter in the playoffs, yeah. this would it would be a complete non issue, and he is that in the regular season. It's very interesting. Right. Um, any other Mavs thoughts? I mean, going forward, I, you know, look as long as they got Luca, they're going to have a fighting chance against everyone, and, and they'll hunt for that point guard. Any yeah. other any other names we should be looking for? Any other Mavs thoughts before we move on? Uh, you know, they they've got that Richardson exception, uh, ten point eight mil, I believe it is, and so you know they will continue to be aggressive. Uh, you know, perhaps during the season with that, or, you know, maybe even in the next summer. Let's flip to a team that so far, and I mean, so far, I think has to be considered one of the big losers of free agency. And that's the Pelicans. I don't really know what the Pelicans are doing. Um, So the Pelicans um, traded back 10 spots in this current draft, traded a top 10 protected Lakers pick. So likely traded the 2022 Lakers pick to Memphis, to get off of Steven Adams and Eric Bledsoe. Took in Jonas Valanciunas, who's a good player, but mm-hmm. is in the last year of his contract. You have to pay him or, or lose him. Um, to open cap space for Kyle Lowry. Biggest open secret in the league. Right. They did not get Kyle Lowry. And so they gave up two picks 
uh, to not get Kyle Lowry. They did not re-sign Lonzo Ball. Instead, they signed and traded Lonzo Ball to the Bulls for Tomas Sedaransky, okay, mm. and Garrett Temple. Uh, okay, sure. I'd rather have Lonzo Ball than all the names I just said. But And this name that you're about to name. say. And then they traded a first-round pick, their mm. own first-round pick, lottery protected according to our Andrew Lopez, to the Hornets in a sign-and-trade for Devontae Graham. So if you zoom out, they traded a first-round pick in Lonzo Ball for Devontae Graham, Tomas Sadaransky, and Garrett Temple. Let me start by saying this. I'll bet you this is one of those horrible-looking series of transactions that ends up looking not as bad in the light of day because Graham is a good three-point shooter on a, a ridiculous volume. Now he can't finish at the rim. He doesn't get yeah. to the line. Defensively, he's a massive liability, and this team has zero defensive identity. Zero. And none of the moves they have made have addressed that. I mean, Garrett Temple addresses it a little bit, but if you're like counting on Garrett Temple to revamp your defensive culture, it's not going to happen. Sadoransky's all right, too. Um uh, those are those guys are good players, and Sadoransky's good, a good playmaker. Garrett Temple is always good to have around. Like I bet it looks a little better in the light of day, but boy, to give up three draft assets and lose the best player in Lonzo Ball of all of these point guard roulette, that is, I I, I just and I think they'll retain Josh Hart. Okay, that that seems yeah. likely. They will have cap room next summer before Zion's mega deal kicks in. They'll have another bite at the apple. Now, how much? I think they're slated to have 18, 19, so they'll probably have to get off some money to have big cap room. So they'll have another shot at the Kyle Lowry of next season, whoever that is. But boy, oh boy, it's it's hard. It's hard to look at this series of events and feel good about the Pelicans. And and obviously the follow-up is, well, Zion's going to be unhappy. Zion this. It is important to note that Zion's agent, Austin Brown, also represents or co-represents Devontae Graham. So it's not as if he's like on the outside looking in of all these decisions. But boy, oh boy. I, I just I don't, I, I don't understand why they seem to sour so badly on Lonzo Ball, who has become a good volume three-point shooter who uh, now he's limited in the half court outside of that, but he's at least a solid, versatile defender. And, you know, he's a guy who can get out and transition, make plays, you know, especially. And he, ha- he had a chemistry with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Zion. You know, a lot of the plays he makes in transition are, you know, oh, wait, I've got the ball at half court. Lonzo's down there. Let me throw it up uh, toward the backboard and let, and let Zion go get it. So, I, I just don't understand why they just, you know, and there was, this isn't like a sudden development. It was all last season, you know, them shopping them all last season. I, I don't understand why they were so sour uh, on Lonzo Ball. And then I, again, I just, you know, I know they've got a million and six picks, but boy, they just kind of seem to throw them around. Well, that is the thing. They do have a lot of picks. I, I don't think that means you want to just toss them around willy-nilly to get off this contract and get this guy and Devontae Graham. I mean, Devontae Graham's fine. He's a good story. He's made himself into a nice player. He's a he's a good three-point shooter off the dribble. He'll take a ton, and they need that. But he is a shoot first. He's an okay passer, but he's a shoot first point guard who's undersized and is a liability defensively, does not get you anything in the paint. I just don't – I don't know how that ends up being – the thing you trade a first round pick for, I don't really. I, I a just, bad defensive team got worse. Well, that's the thing. You know, everyone looked at the Suns and the Hawks and said, okay, we can be 
we're one guy away from being those teams. And I and Zion is that good that I don't mm-hmm. think it's irrational for the Pelicans. Now, maybe we in the West, you're not a conference finalist or whatever, but I don't think it's crazy for the Pelicans to say, hey, we can make a 15-win jump next year if a lot of things go right for us. Let's try to speak that into existence or trade that into existence. But the Suns had something meaningful happen to their team in the bubble that gave you faith something's happening right. here. Right. Okay. The Hawks had just a bevy of good players and made a critical trade for Capella to solidify yeah. their defense and give and give Trey Young a rim runner. And they were in the same situation. They're more analogous to the Pelicans to me because they had that one bite at cap space and they used it on players, mm-hmm. especially Bogdanovich, who fit. That's a more analogous situation. They were just deeper and sort of more ready-made, more of a set identity than the Pelicans, who are still trying to figure out well, how is our half-court offense going to work? They've settled on this point. Zion, their offense ended up being really good. Defensively, they just have absolutely zero identity. They were horrible. They were horrible. Understanding. No, no they do have an identity. They were horrible. <laughs> it's bad. And and JV is a solid player, but he he boxes you into playing one style defensively. He's not a rim protector. And all this stuff about how he's a much better fit with Zion on offense than Steven Adams because Steven Adams is a rim runner. I mean, that's true to some degree. But what does Valanciunas want to do? He wants to post up. He wants to be on the block posting up. That's what he's best at. So yeah, it's now not he, as if he, he's like he he will set some you know some just knockdown screens. But this thing of of, of Valanciunas as a spacer, it's like okay, he shot a solid percentage last year. How many threes did he shoot? Like you're not a spacer shooting fifty something threes in an entire season, and also like. Nobody's worried about him. Like the threes that he takes, they're, they're wide open. Nobody's like you're not like saying, "Oh, people I can't take I, naps. I can't take people a step away from naps. him." They take naps on the floor while he pump fakes, and you could you could lay down on the floor well, and that really- shut your eyes for five seconds, take a little power nap, and he still hasn't shot it. And when he shoots the threes, those really, you know he's going to check the wind a little bit. You know, I mean, it's not it's so like the whole oh stretch three ain't a stretch five. Get out of here. Just the discouraging and look, I I hate that you know there's this rush to what is Zion going to do this and that. But I've said before, Kirk Goldsberry said on my pockets, I've written it. The end game of player empowerment, one of the end games of player empowerment, which I'm all for. Let the players exercise their leverage. Is someone somewhere in a, in a star at some yeah. point is going to take the qualifying offer. And we have never had a star more well positioned to do that than Zion. Now, you, I think people say that and underestimate all of the money you are risking oh, giving up, especially if because he's you're super not max just, eligible. Exactly, you're giving up the thirty percent max. You're giving up down the line the super max. Like it is a huge financial sacrifice. The NBA, if this is their goal, has done a good job of yeah. making that not just a sacrifice in the first year where you take a lower amount of money to get unrestricted the next year. But to make it a huge long-term financial sacrifice, it takes a guy with basically a shoe deal and an off-court revenue stream that is so enormous, it doesn't matter to him. And even that, when you so throw in the risk of injury, now again, we've seen guys get injured and it doesn't even matter, they still get the max. Um, you know, w- We'll see what happens. I know you wanted to talk, if you have any Pelicans concluding thoughts, that's fine. I know you wanted to talk Suns and Nuggets quickly, which I'm interested because I don't have a lot of hot takes on Suns and Nuggets. So hit me with some hot takes. I, I, I and First of all, I don't think there is there are any teams in the West that took a huge step forward. Like I don't, I don't look at the West and say, "Wow, this is the clear winner." This team's really taking a vault. Um, but I like the fact that uh, for the Suns, look, 
Old cheapo Robert Sarver paid to keep Chris Paul. Now, he got a nice little reduction in this season and, and all that kind of stuff, but a four-year deal, and, and you have to do it. You've got a window to contend. I like that they kept him. I like the deal that they kept campaign on. You know, I thought that was a pretty team-friendly deal. And then, you know, JaVel McGee once told me all you need to do my job is to have two thumbs, so I'm not necessarily the biggest JaVel McGee fan, but JaVel McGee— He told you that? He said, oh, you- <laughs> yes. He was mad at a tweet. He said, Oh, you need to do your job is to have two thumbs. So for a long time. First of I- all, that's first of all, that's funny. And if he said that to me, I would have laughed. Second of all, does he does he implying that you would type with your thumbs? Well, yeah, when you're when you're texting or when you're oh, tweeting on your phone, okay. two thumbs. I still tweet. I'm thinking, I'm thinking like when you peck, <laughs> like the people who peck on their computers, they do no, it with no, their no. index finger. I'm trying to think of a th- okay. I mean, these text. guys, you know, JaVel McGee has never opened up a laptop in his life. He's thinking it's all on the phone, which, you know, whatever. But anyways, um, I do give this two thumbs up because I do think that JaVel McGee, with good guard play and adult supervision, is a very solid backup center. JaVel McGee, yeah, he's I proven mean, look, that. yeah, yeah, and you know, give him credit. Uh, he's won championships. Now, him being on Team USA is 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 pretty humorous, but I they obviously had a need for a backup center, and I think they've they found a guy who can give them, uh, you know, whatever it is, fourteen quality minutes a night behind eight. And so I I like what they've done. Uh, keeping CP three, keeping pain, finding a a you know reasonably priced backup big um so yeah i like what the suns have done and then the nuggets um i like jeff green (laughs) he finally finally got off that minimum deal train you know i'm actually surprised i would have loved him on the lakers and and he got less than the tax mid level i i would i I think jeff green jeff green we have to conclude at this point the three-point shooting is legitimate he's improved into a good three-point shooter and just what he brings in terms of positional flexibility he can pump and drive like he's just he's just a handy guy he fits in any lineup any you want to play well with the exception with the exception of the jazz a couple years ago (laughs) i I don't know what happened there um well he was playing he was playing like a lot of small forward and honestly when i'm watching the jazz and they have no small ball answer uh, boy, Jeff Green would have come in handy for him in, in the playoffs last year, which I think Rudy Gay will this year. Yeah, I um, say they just signed Rudy Gay, but I, I, I love Jeff Green. The Nuggets really, you know, without Jamal Murray, they could have just said next year is kind of a sunk cost for us. They instead they brought back Jermichael Green two years something. They brought back Will Barton two years thirty two. Mm-hmm. That's fully guaranteed. I think Jermichael Green has a uh, a player option in his second year. Um, they're in talks with Austin Rivers. And they brought back who am I forgetting? They brought oh, they, they, they signed Jeff Green. Um, yeah, it, it, I think you know they I still think, are missing guards, but well, I, and obviously the question whether the Nuggets are going to be a serious threat or not is when does Jamal Murray come back, and and you know how can he get back to being Jamal freaking Murray uh, come playoff time? So you know, and and if he can, then. They're a team to be reckoned with. But I, I think Jeff Green was a really nice addition for them. Now, the real interesting questions about what they did this summer come next summer because Michael Porter Jr. is eligible for a huge extension now mm-hmm. that would kick in the following season. Aaron Gordon, who looked like the everything they wanted him to be 
when they were fully healthy. The guy who would defend Kawhi. Yeah. The cutter, the dunker, the offensive rebounder, the chaos machine. Ball mover. Like everything they wanted. He's a free agent after this coming season. You just committed all this money to the Greens, to Barton. There are they're at the tax before you even account with an estimate that I put in for Michael Porter, assuming mm-hmm. they want him back. They're at the tax before you account for Aaron Gordon. And Aaron Gordon is going to get a good deal from someone yeah. somewhere. Um, this is a real, I mean, now they've put, the, and you can always get off guys and offloaded, you know, these are all tradable contracts, but it is financially, this bill is going to come due. And and look, this is, if you want to win championships, this is just what happens. Like you have to yeah. pay it at some point. Yeah. And you know, I, I, I just think they are a, a team that has a chance to contend. And when you like the Suns, when you have a chance to contend, I think you have to keep the window open as long as you can. The Suns people want to be skeptical of, and I get that, you know, oh, they're, you know, had an easy path and people got injured. Look, they're going to have to pay the Piper too once Aiton and Bridges deals oh, yeah. kick in now that the CP Mammoth deal is in. But three of their four best players should all keep getting better. Booker, yeah. Bridges, Aiton should all keep improving. It's it's going to be about whether Chris Paul can sustain it. And, and, and I understand people being a little skeptical that the Suns can run it back and, and, and contend for the finals again. Because guess what? Getting to the finals is hard. Getting yes. to the conference finals. Getting to the conference finals is really hard. The Sixers couldn't do it yet with this group of players. The Clippers just finally did it. It's you can't just be it's it's not like some um failure that a team gets to the finals one year and can't but can't get back to the conference finals the next year. For most teams, it's really hard to get that far. But I don't I think Phoenix can look itself in the mirror and say, hey, look, the Lakers loaded up, Warriors are gonna be healthy again, jazz aren't going anywhere, blah, 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 all this stuff like we think we can go toe to toe with anybody. Like we, we might not win. I, might not I don't be the see. I don't see a clear cut favorite in the West. I don't see a team that. Whoa, boy! If they're healthy, ain't beating them. Like you know, we're we're not really dealing with the Lakers today because I'm sure you've run out of breath talking about that. But I don't. I mean, the Lakers. It's you know, it's a bunch of odd fits to me. And Phoenix to me, yeah, they lost four straight in the finals to a really good team. That was a tough matchup for them. They proved that they have a certain metal and toughness to them. Yes. Um, that I think once you do that and you win those kind of games, and I think the Bucks will experience this too, it just feels different. You talk to players and coaches like the the it, the Clippers even will experience this having finally got to the conference finals and the way they did it, beating the Jazz twice in a row without Kawhi. I, I, I just think it lifts a certain pressure off of you. It gives you a little bit more confidence in just that you belong and like, Devin Booker's a killer. He's just oh, a killer. Cajon He's not afraid factor. of anything. Kill, yeah, Cajone, exactly. He's a killer. And I just think they've learned that they have a certain bravado to them that you can only get by getting really far in the playoffs. And, and I, it doesn't matter the circumstances. That bravado sticks. It sticks with you going forward. Devin Booker is a killer, and DeAndre Ayton has learned how to be a winner. And I think, uh, you know, you go back to his rookie year. Oh, he's just, you know, I mean, people were so down on DeAndre Ayton and the fact that Luca was lighting the world on fire uh, played into that. But DeAndre Ayton has learned how to be a impact, dirty work guy who is big and athletic as hell. <laughs> like, I'll take my chance. And, and has, you know, has some skill and some touch. I'll take my chances with that dude. And has really improved defensively, which, as you said, with Porzingis, we sometimes focus on all these other things like, can you anchor a defense? 
That's and maybe that's the most can. important thing. He can. I do think he faded toward the end of the finals. He's got to get that physicality up around the rim. He can't just settle for soft little layups and hooks. He's got to get to the line more. But like he's young, all that stuff yeah. will come. I agree with you that the the last couple of games of the finals leave a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. But the overall arc of DeAndre Ayton is very very encouraging. I and and I love his not just willingness to learn but eagerness to learn. You know, there's some, there's a lot of we've seen this before. Chris Paul can wear on people, and he was in DeAndre Ayton's ear all year long. He learned. He became a a damn good uh, screen setter. You know, when I when you talk about dirty work type of stuff, you know, he he became a guy who they ask a lot of him defensively, and you know, and, and he does it. Um, at 22 years old, but man, I was just I, I, the numbers don't necessarily like scream star, but I tell you this: if I'm DeAndre Ayton, you ain't giving me less than than a max extension. Oh, that's. Yeah, we, you and I could, you know, be his agent yeah. if that's if that's we could walk in. Uh, right. uh, well, we still have. There's going to be more free agency to go, Mr. McMahon. Um, it's always great to see you, even in a Pluto hat. Why Pluto over Goofy? Goofy's the standard. I feel like. Uh, I don't know. What man. is Pluto I'm, bringing to the table? Does he uh, contribute anything? You know, as PJ Tuck would say, "I'm a dog. I'm a dog." I don't know. Is Goofy, Isn't a, Goofy dog a dog? I don't know. I don't know. I like the yellow man. It's like just I just a, like. Does Pluto have a person? Does he just? Does he do anything? Is he bringing anything to the Disney universe? He he. They got my twenty four ninety five. Are there stories account. about Pluto? Does he? Does he? I I just don't know what he does. I don't know, man. I thought it was aesthetically pleasing. Okay. You know, plus like the tongue. The tongue really What's sold the best me. Ride? What's your favorite ride? I haven't been to Disney. I'm very excited for my daughter to be of Disney age because I really want to go. What's the best uh, ride? I tell you what, you got to get over to the California Adventure and the Incredibles roller coaster is absolutely incredible. Uh, that to me is nudges it nudges past uh, Space Mountain. Least favorite, I ain't hating, but man. Those bobsleds are not made for six foot four, two ten. Okay, I'm in there. My knees are up like by my my ears, and like every you know, it's herky jerky. I felt like my groin was gonna tear. Yeah, got to be a little bit smaller frame than I am for for that bobsled ride to be enjoyable. Does the Incredibles roller coaster go upside down? Oh yeah, it's got a little loop. Got a little loop. I'm a baby about upside down. I like going upside down. I'm, I don't. I, I just don't loop. like the way it feels. It's, it, it's a quick loop. Okay. All right. Do you I'm ever not, get scared a bird is going to just smash into your face when you're on a roller coaster? <laughs> These are the things I think about on a roller coaster. I think about things like if I raise my arms up at the wrong time, are we going to go through a tunnel and my arms are just going to get <laughs> going to get like snatched? I do off think my about body. that. I'm 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 kind of a lobster arm arm raiser for sure. <laughs> I've got too much. I don't enjoy. All right, Tim. Thank you, sir. Be well. Appreciate you, brother.